G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Well, as we do on a Monday, good to catch up with what's happening with the political agenda this week. Martin Isles is the Managing Director of the Australian Christian Lobby. Martin's joining us. Hello, Martin. Welcome to 2020. G'day, Neil. Always great to be with you and the listeners. Uh, Martin, just before we get into the agenda and things that are coming up and uh, reporting some things about the Tasmanian election on the weekend, how are you settling into your new role? Oh, really well, thanks. Yeah, so I'm one month in, and uh, look, it's been busy. It's been quite crazy, um, but uh, look, there's there's a lot of important issues, particularly around questions of religious freedom that are dominating at the moment, um, and which we've been able to contribute to. And uh, yeah, got a lot of ideas for the future, uh, which will be coming out over the over the next few months. Well, spent a lot of time talking about issues to do with religious freedom, and we're in this waiting time, aren't we? Until the Ruddock Freedom Review comes forward with some recommendations and uh, everyone's hoping there's going to be some sort of a silver bullet that will help to uh, continue our religious freedoms. Just before we get into talking about Tasmania, uh, your thoughts on how that process is going with the Religious Freedom Review because uh, it won't be too long and we'll be hearing from them. Yeah, certainly they've been very diligent in going around and conducting a lot of hearings and, and listening to a lot of groups, and they've received 16,500 submissions or thereabouts, um, which, is, which is all good. But, of course, the problem is they, they want to report by the 31st of March, and uh, it's a fairly unrealistic deadline to properly digest uh, all of that information and turn it into a policy recommendation. So I suppose there's good news on the one hand, but on the other hand, just a few concerns that, that it's probably being a bit rushed. So I suppose the proof will be in the pudding and we'll see uh, what the recommendations are. And of course, ACO will brief, uh, have information briefings um, all about the significance of those recommendations when they come. Let's talk about the Tasmanian election on the weekend. Your overall view of the outcome, uh, the Liberals returned. Uh, your thoughts on the election? Well, um, I think uh, it's interesting that Tasmania is traditionally, uh, I suppose, a Labor Greens sort of territory and has been for a very long time. And when the Liberals won three years ago, uh, that was uh, considered unusual. And so for them to pick up a second term, uh, I think is also unusual, just looking through a historical lens. Um, I wonder... Um, what caused that? Uh, certainly the Greens' vote was down to an all-time low. They may just have one seat or they may have two, but they used to have three. Uh, and they used to have a lot more than that not, not, not long ago. Um, and the Liberals now have a majority to govern in their own right, which is also a slightly unusual thing in the Hare-Clark system. So that's an interesting thing to note. Um, and I suppose when you look at the issues that were going on in Tasmania, um, on the one hand, there was an economic narrative. You know, Tasmania's uh, not had a great economy for some time, and uh, there are green shoots down there, and perhaps people felt optimistic under the Liberal government so far, and that, that helped them return for another term. Um, but the other thing is that the Labor Party down there really became quite socially uh, progressive and radical on social policy, and I wonder whether they actually picked up some of the Greens' vote as a result. They had a lot of policies like uh, legalising prostitution with minimal regulation, legalised small quantities of illicit drugs, 
um, state funding for safe schools, uh, euthanasia bill was promised. Uh, so a very radical, uh, progressive social agenda coming out of the Labor Party in Tasmania around this election. Um, and there's a number of things we did to campaign uh, around to support uh, candidates who, were, who stood against those policies, and, and we believe with some success. When we talk about the Greens, and uh, the Greens themselves called it a horror result, uh, weakening on the left there, uh, is there a message in there that there may be some level of common sense in the Tasmanian electorate in that sense of uh, recognising some of the extremes that the left uh, had presented? And, and of course, uh, when we talk about the Greens, uh, the Labor Party not necessarily that far uh, from the Greens, but uh, your thoughts just on where there might be a message in there that Tasmanian voters perhaps are, uh, are looking towards uh, other less extreme extreme policies? Well, look, I hope so. Uh, I'll put it that way. I mean, I do hope that some of those particularly social policies, which we think, you know, represent real policies of injustice, uh, which I listed just earlier. Look, we do hope that there's a turning against some of that. I do wonder whether you might be right in the sense that um, what we were able to do was, was, was target a couple of, a couple of electorates um, which, and, and, and expose these policies to, to people through letterbox drops and all that kind of thing so that they could get a real view of, of, of what was going on in the more radical sectors of, of Labor and the Greens this time around. Um, and those electorates, we, we think we saw smaller swings um, against uh, the government in those electorates. Um, which is very, very interesting. And I do wonder whether or not perhaps in those family areas, perhaps um, ordinary Australians and Aussie families are just not on board with those radical social agendas like the legalised prostitution, the state funding for safe schools, etc., um, and voted against it. Uh, and I wonder whether if we can get this narrative out there a little more and just say, look, some of, some of these candidates stand for some very radical things that just are out of step with Australian values, um, there might be some progress on that front. And I'm hopeful... Um, and uh, I do wonder whether perhaps Green's votes leaked to Labor this time around, um, but we'll see, we'll see. Uh, Martin, there is a certain anomaly in the uh, policy that Labor took to the election about uh, getting rid of poker machines out of the state, mm, and then right. there are what followed in the election uh, coverage, and uh, you might have seen this on Saturday night watching the Tasmanian election coverage, the idea that uh, the Greens and Labor blame massive money from the pokies lobby uh, and saying that in some sense the Liberals came to power because of money on the back of the poker machine lobby. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on that sort of idea? Well, I think to the extent that it could be true, it's a real shame. Um, and I, you know, I emphasise that the things that ACL is concerned about is particular policies. And we're not party partisan, so you know, when it comes to the Liberals, I think that they've done the wrong thing. Uh, by not coming out against pokies because of the known social problems that, that they cause, particularly, I might add, in Tasmania, um, where there is a lot more welfare dependency uh, and there is um, issues with the delivery of welfare services. Um, and I think that one of the important things for that state is to wean the government off pokey money. And there's just more ethical ways to, to earn income 
Uh, I think it's a shame that the Liberals did not join Labor by not supporting pokies. Uh, and to the extent that they received a lot of money from the gambling industry, that also <laughs> is quite a shame. I think there was more at work than just that. I think there was definitely an economic narrative. I think that there were some of these other concerns, perhaps a better campaign as well by the Liberals. But it is true, money can, to a certain extent, buy elections. Um, and if you've got a big donor who's throwing money at you, uh, you are at an advantage. Um, and so, yeah, that is a shame. I think pokies need to be um, banned. And I would have liked to see the Liberals come out in favour of that position. Another issue out of Saturday night, uh, this idea of a bit of Aussie sportsmanship uh, where Labor's Rebecca White did not congratulate Will Hodgman uh, on Mm. winning the election and I know that she has apologised since uh, but this idea of Aussies expecting a certain graciousness from politicians in defeat, uh, what are your thoughts on, on the way that you play the game of politics? Well, I think you've nailed it. It's sportsmanship. Um, and uh, I think that's been a all what, for a long time that, that has been recognised in Australian politics is that you play the issue, not the person, uh, and then you lose uh, graciously and you also win graciously. Um, it's important because I think particularly as politics becomes more polarised, as it has done in recent times, uh, I think politicians need to lead by example uh, and show actually at the end of the day, you know, we're dealing with people. Uh, and we're dealing with, uh, we have to be uh, sportsmanlike and we have to be gracious uh, in our dealings with people, uh, despite any of their ideas. So uh, I think it was a shame that Rebecca White did not congratulate Will Hodgman. And it's, it's interesting, I, I can't remember that happening uh, in my lifetime uh, in political history. I know Malcolm Turnbull was accused after winning the federal election last time around of being a little ungracious in his, uh, in his victory speech. Um, and uh, he, he was criticised quite widely for an ungracious tone at one stage in that speech. So it is taken very seriously in political circles, and I'm not sure that I'm aware of a time when a leader has not called um, the opposition or the government to uh, concede and to congratulate them. So uh, it's, a, it's a shame it happened, and I don't think it's a precedent we want to set. Well, let's cast our vision forward another couple of weeks because it's not just the Tasmanian election that's been on the agenda. There's one coming up in South Australia. And when we talk about these social issues, uh, when you talked about uh, decriminalisation of prostitution, you mentioned uh, the idea of you know possession of illicit drugs. Of course, there's the, uh, the controversial Safe Schools program. Are these the sorts of issues that will also be on the agenda when South Australians go to the polls? in just a couple of weeks from now? Yeah, they will, I think. I mean, there's the obvious big economic issues and the issue of power and that kind of thing. So the government and the opposition will be campaigning heavily on those headline things. But uh, just under the surface, again, is, is, is some social things. And the main one in South Australia really is that the, the Liberal Party have uh, committed to getting rid of the Safe Schools Coalition altogether out of South Australia. Um, whereas Labor have committed state funding for the Safe Schools Coalition, which, uh, if, if you remember, the federal government a while ago made this promise and said, don't worry, federal funds for the Safe Schools Coalition will dry up by 2018. Uh, we've only funded it through till then. After that, we're going to pull the plug and, you know, where Safe Schools going to go after that? So don't worry, people. And what's happened actually is that the, some of the state governments have come in and promised extra funding to keep it going, which is what the Labor Party have done in South Australia. So... Uh, in terms of those uh, social issues, um, that really is a headline one uh, in SA and um, Nick Xenophon's party, SA Best, don't have a policy on it. Uh, and we've been trying to get them to make a policy commitment on the subject, but so far 
they haven't said anything. So there's real uncertainty, I suppose, around that issue into the future. When it comes to the Nick Xenophon factor, because there's the likelihood that uh, he's about to make a really robust foray into state politics, uh, what are your thoughts on the way that the Nick Xenophon party might well affect uh, things that are going to be happening in South Australia two weeks from now? Well, a lot of analysts are saying still that um, he may well have the balance of power. So uh, you'll get a hung, hung parliament where neither Labor nor Liberal have a majority. And so they have to do some horse trading with Nick Xenophon's party, in all, probably in all likelihood Nick Xenophon's party, in order to form a government. That may or may not happen. It looks likely. Um, the difficulty with SA Best and Nick Xenophon um, is that we just don't know where they stand on these crucial social issues. Um, they don't have a policy on euthanasia. They don't have a policy on safe schools. They don't have a policy on prostitution law reform. Um, Nick Xenophon was a long-time campaigner for same-sex marriage um, and was, was, was a fairly vocal supporter in the federal Senate. Um, and so uh, we just don't... There's a great unknown. I suppose the whole South Australian election falls into an unknown on that, on that basis because he may well be the guy with the balance of power and we don't know where he stands. Um, so I think Christians, uh, when casting their vote, should think carefully on that front um, as the unknowns that that might create if they're concerned about these issues. So real caution there. If you were talking to Christian voters in South Australia and those that are prepared to put their faith where their vote is and say, well, you know, I'm looking for some guidance from organisations like the Australian Christian Lobby or from others like Family Voice Australia and uh, and talking about, uh, you know, how you actually as a Christian uh, plan to make a difference in your state. Are you saying uh, tread very cautiously when it comes to the Nick Xenophon team because they're uh, because they're a little bit of a dark horse. They're not really known. They're actually playing their cards close to their chest. They're not letting us in on what their policy are, policies are on these particular very important issues. Exactly. I think that's exactly right. So it's a populist party and so they choose those policies that they think that they can get uh, popular support off the back of and anything that they think is controversial they don't tend to touch. Uh, and this basically falls in their controversial category. So, you know, um, for those Christian voters who are concerned about issues of righteousness, we know that righteousness exalts a nation and so that's an important uh, thing to consider when it comes to policy uh, measures. Um, I would urge caution because we just don't know where they stand. So there's some clever politics at play, but the voter is left in the dark so far as these social issues uh, with Nick Xenophon. Exactly. Uh, One more issue, just quickly, uh, federally, uh, Barnaby Joyce issues appear to be affecting the latest polls, the PM losing some ground as preferred uh, Prime Minister. Uh, Your thoughts on how Christians might make sense of some of the fallout from the Joyce affair. What are your thoughts? Well, my first thought uh, when seeing the poll was I had mixed feelings. Um, Obviously, the Barnaby Joyce uh, situation is tragic and, uh, you know, it's terrible um, and um, a real shame that it ever happened and that it's come to this. Um, But I was interested to see the polls uh, and and realise that people still clearly are concerned about matters of virtue. Um, and they still want leaders of character. And also they want leaders who are committed to the purpose for which they're elected, which is actually to serve in their office, to serve the Australian people. Um, I was interested to note that a question of character and a question of whether or not someone had their eye on the main game um, became uh, such a significant poll issue. 
Um, and that is an encouragement, I think, because people are getting a narrative now that politicians in Canberra are behaving quite badly, and no doubt there are some uh, that fall into that category, but there's a lot of good guys as well. Um, and that concerns them because we know, I think, intuitively that issues of character permeate our whole life. It's not true, as Barnaby Joyce said in his press conference, that private life is matter for private and public life is a separate thing and we shouldn't mix up the two. It's important that character actually permeates both. It affects everything that we do. Uh, if someone's not faithful, for example, to family, then what else are they not faithful to? You know, country, duty, whatever. Um, it's a question of character. It bears on the whole way you live. And so we know intuitively that we want leaders of character. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad to see that the Australian people are still concerned about that question. And as Christians in particular, I think we must be concerned about that question because Jesus was concerned about that question. I, I was reading the Sermon on the Mount the other day and we look at when he says, be salt, be light, do your good works. We're thinking, yeah, we're out there doing those things. But he didn't say that until he dealt with character. And he said, blessed are the merciful, blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are the meek. Uh, and he went through those character qualities that come first. Uh, and so I think it's so important that Christians know that our character matters, uh, and also we know that character in our leaders matters. Obviously, there's a pathway for repentance and restoration. Uh, that's totally uh, biblical, and that's God's way of dealing with people, but we should take the matter very seriously. Well, Martin Isles, uh, thoroughly enjoyed your uh, insights today. Uh, looking forward to some regular updates with you. Martin Isles, the Managing Director of the Australian Christian Lobby. Let me point people to the website, acl.org.au, and uh, especially for those South Australian voters, uh, you'll be interested in some of the insights that will be from the uh, ways that surveys have been done with not only the political parties about their policies but also candidates. Uh, you'll like to check out the ACL website to, to get some insight as to how they stand in comparison to where Christians might think uh, the right line is when it comes to elections. acl.org.au. Martin Niles, thanks so much for taking some time to share your thoughts with us today on 2020. Thank you, Neil. My pleasure. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.